It is really frustrating when we look around the world and it seems as if evil is getting a foothold everywhere and there's not any accountability that's used to really move our culture towards righteousness, but it seems like wicked things and wicked forces and wicked mouths get away with bearing false witness and all sorts of terrible things in our society. But we're going to have a conversation about what to do when evil frustrates you. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there is one other here with me in the studio. Hello, I'm John Mills. It's good to be here today. Um, Pastor John, would you pray for us as we begin? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and to discuss these issues. And we ask for your spirit to be here, that you would uh, give wisdom and anointing in your name. Amen. Amen. So, John, you had a Sunday school lesson this week that... Again, I know we've been looking through the Psalms and really just the Old Testament wisdom that we have when reacting to the world around us. And in it, you had three particular things which we cannot do. And I want to dissect those with you, if I can. And then you had a couple of things that we can do. And I wanted to contrast all of that with some New Testament wisdom that Jesus gives us regarding truth. We're giving the regarding the frustrating things of this world and how we should just basically be a people who shine light into darkness. Even if there's not immediate accountability on this earth, all things are going to be made right with Christ. So if we can, what I would like to do is go through these list of things which we cannot do. I'm going to have you respond to each of these and let's just dissect them. So regarding the frustration that we have with evil, you had listed that we cannot fret, to not be envious, and to Thirdly, not become angry. So I kind of wanted to dissect those just a little bit. And could you jump right into that first one of not fretting really quick? Okay. The The idea of fretting is to, to let something kind of gnaw away at you. Uh, you're letting it get under your skin. You're letting it frustrate you. And so the psalmist is telling us when we, when we see the wicked prosper, we can't let it uh, kind of eat at us. Uh, the idea of fretting is wondering, did I make the right choice? You know, when God says, I will bless the righteous and I choose to be righteous and I'm not blessed, why have, have I kind of made the, the wrong decision there? Will everything work out the way that it's supposed to work out? And so, you know, this idea of fretting as being something that's just a, a constant worry and a constant anxiety you know, when you initially brought up the concept of fretting, I kind of thought of when we flinch, when something kind of spooks you a little bit and you might yeah. flinch from it. But really, your explanation of that has taken things in a little bit deeper direction. Kind of when someone steps in the shower or something like that, your mind kind of goes through the things which have frustrated you throughout the day. And you kind of start running both sides of the conversations. You kind of pretend how you would like to argue with somebody. And you're not really arguing with them. You're arguing with a, another side of your own psyche right. that is pretending as if they're them. And that's really not ever a, a healthy thing. You know, we always figure out whether it be as we're going to sleep at night or something like that. We spend all of our energy in these imaginary conversations, which are oftentimes very different than how the real world may play out. Even if we have a good analysis of who we're frustrated with, so often there are just so many other factors that happen that it really isn't a good use of your energy to get so worked up and run both sides of those conversations and just dedicate all of your time, your, your life to that. You feel like that's kind of where you're, you're going with fretting, or am I just a little crazy in that? Well, I think that's true. Nobody enjoys fretting. Fretting is not, is not something you do for fun. You know, we find ourselves fretting, even though we know we really shouldn't. Uh, we know we should let it go. 
and but there there's the the kind of just the constant uh worry are things going to be the way god promises them to be you know yeah. it, are the bad guys going to get away with it yeah and there's the worry that yes you know they are god's not going to step in and do what needs to be done and you know one of the things which is so interesting about that is no one really likes fretting but yet there is a great temptation to give into it and there's that sort of a strange contrast you get and it's one that you actually find throughout all of fallen creation a lot of the world is very hungry for god in the sense they want to be reconciled and restored to God, but at the same time are very angry and hateful towards God and want to just shake their fist at it. The same thing kind of happens in our personal lives where we want that anxiety to go away, but yet we, we can't stop going back to the to the stream of anxiety and just kind of indulging it. It's a weird push and pull that happens there. Yeah. So many times we are our own worst enemies. Oh, sure. Know. Yeah. We know what we should be doing, but... Yeah, one of the working definitions I've used for wisdom is when the mind has victory over the heart because so rarely is it true that our mind, which knows what we should do, actually is victorious in convincing the heart not to, to go down a bad pathway. Um, the next one I wanted to talk about is to not be envious. Now, I found this to be very fascinating. Whenever we see the forces of evil gain footing in our, our world, whenever we see evil advanced, we see people bearing false witness, whatever it may be. You know, there is a great temptation to become envious of that, to say, well, I, I want the approval of the world. I want people to see me be victorious in the way this happens or my cause or my team or whatever leader it is that I'm trying to associate myself with. There is a great envy that really does come whenever we see evil get away with stuff. You, There's sort of a we, we look throughout Scripture and we get these words zealous and jealous, which actually have the same root. It's just somehow over time through different languages, they've split apart from one another. But if you go all the way back, zealous, jealous, they actually have the same origins and the same old meaning. We have this sort of zeal or geal that comes with seeing others get away with things that we know they shouldn't. And that can also be very corrupting, too, when that becomes dislocated, when instead of being focused on our zeal for God, whenever our zeal is just to kind of have the approval to ourselves, want to just, you know, kind of crack a whip and make the world lock back in place, there really is a great fracture that can happen. And that simply is because we're not God. We we don't have the capacity to, to rewrite the world. And also, you know, you can't force people's minds to be other than where they're at. So there is a... An amount of corruption that can happen when we do just become overwhelmed with envy and covetousness. And I'll, I'll let you slip in some thoughts on that. Yeah, envy can be so, so destructive. The idea that, you know, why should someone else have this when I don't? Yeah. You know, I, I'm better than they are. I'm more deserving than they are. And especially when it comes to, to you know, uh, succeeding and prospering when you're righteous and they're wicked and you think, you know, why should they have this when I'm the good person? I'm the good guy. Yeah. And, and you know, you, it just gnaws away at you to think that they have something that you don't, and especially when they don't deserve it. Yeah. You know, you feel Absolutely. like I deserve it and I don't have it. They don't deserve it and they get it, you know. so. And envy is very corrupting when it comes to the concept of justice. A lot of times there, there's all sorts of different ways that the— you know, the, the secular fallen world wants to implement justice. We have civil justice. We have criminal justice. You have ideologies like social justice, which come along. And all of these things, one of the big 
markers that something has become corrupt is when it is wrought with envy. Whenever people are consumed by envy, and again, this is not sort of that zealous ambition we might have to pursue God, but whenever we, we're looking at the world and we're making comparisons and we have covetousness in our hearts, that really corrupts anyone's ability to see clearly and navigate forward in a righteous manner. It, I mean, it, it's, it's one of the Ten Commandments for a reason. Yeah. You know, covetousness, it can corrupt things. And we as a culture, we've got to start calling stuff out when there's clear fruits of covetousness. Righteousness is not going to prevail in the end. And by that, I mean, we have so many in our world who say, you know, the ends justify the means. Well, in truth, no, that's that's actually how you get extraordinarily lawlessness. When you do allow corrupt things to be the the facet which you're really allowing something to grow, that avenue, that sort of side bit, which is really getting all the attention, being the loud voice moving things. If we're not careful, envy is something which really can corrupt so many aspects of of the world around us. Yeah, that's true. And envy, envy is becoming something that is so prevalent in our world. Yeah. You know, envy is kind of the thing that drives our world. We are We are, we are told to be envious of yes. others yeah. uh, as a way of controlling us. You know, you think of social media and the, the, big, uh, the big push to be envious of what others have. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, yeah, it, it's become something that's become so pervasive in our society. Yeah. I think we fail to realize it's even there. It just kind of becomes the norm. Well, one of the fascinating things in our modern day and age is – the old true virtues of Christ are being replaced by a lot of shallow, hollow things. And envy itself has almost become viewed as a virtue by our secular culture. You know, you, you touch there on social media, which even people who aren't on social media, it drives so much of what you see on network news. It drives so much of what you see on your, your local news channel, what you see going on in public policy, within politics, social media, even though very few people are per se on Twitter and very few people are on Facebook. When you actually look at all the generations, people who use it for something other than just putting their family pictures on there. But nonetheless, it has reshaped our culture. And although the loud voices steering our culture are feeding into really the worst elements and the worst byproducts of social media. And envy is one of those. Envy Mm -hmm. is just festering. That is a avenue that just facilitates envy like nothing I've ever seen. And it has become to the point where, as you said earlier, it's, it's almost treated as it is a good as opposed to a negative thing. Like you're, you're somehow more virtuous because you're acting out more on your envy than anyone else is. And it's just terribly, terribly corrupting. Yes. Well, the next thing I want us to talk about is don't become angry. Now, this one is a little bit more obvious just because we all know that when you're angry, you don't respond well. But really, I'll just let you walk us through that a little bit about why why is it that the Old Testament really goes to such great lengths reminding us something that we may know? Well, you know, anger is one of those things that's tricky because we realize that there is a righteous anger. Yeah. You know, there's a time to be angry. There's a reason to be angry. But, you know, so much of the time our anger is for the wrong reasons, for the wrong purposes, and when it does, it, you know, it's so corrupting. And what, what we're talking about here is being angry because I feel that I am being treated unfairly. So I'm not anger, angry at injustice in the world as a whole. I'm not angry on behalf of someone else. I'm angry because I am not being treated right. I am not being given the importance that I deserve, you know, the treatment that I deserve. 
And so it's bound up with pride. Sure. And that's always going to make anger a, a wrong, a wrong choice. You know, what you're saying there about me being angry as opposed to injustice out there in the world, you do find a lot of people who say they're angry about injustices out in the world, but it's when you weigh their fruits and you actually examine their behavior, it's very obvious that it's actually a personal anger, that they're pretending is something else. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was the Amber Geiger. She was a police officer that she went into the wrong apartment and she, she killed a young man. And when she was being sentenced at her trial, the brother of the man that she killed, his name was Brant Jean or Jean Brandt. I don't know. Those last names and first names can go either way with, with this guy's name. But he forgave her there in the courtroom. And he said, the, the best thing for you is um, that you know on the Lord Christ Jesus. He said, I don't even want you to be in the grave rotting like my brother. He said, I want you to know Christ and to be saved. I love you and I forgive you. And there were a lot of people who hated that. They hated this forgiveness. There were people in the church. I even knew people in the church of the Nazarene who were mad about this. Who, who had really bought into secular worldviews, and they wanted to be personally mad about something. And when they saw that all the people involved in this had restoration, I mean, there are people who took to social media and said, no, and people in the church who would get on social media and say, like, he, he shouldn't forgive her or anything like this. They wanted to be so worked up. They wanted to, this to be about race and all this other stuff. They wanted to let their personal angry, their personal anger be masked as an external injustice and when the external injustice actually got resolved, all the people in there, and even the judge that was in there, the, the lady that was residing over this, you know, she's broken up in tears and gives Amber the Bible. It was a really moving scene, one of the, the most phenomenal things I've seen as far as a public forgiveness. But there are people who hated that because they wanted their personal anger to have something in the world to use as an excuse to, to be let out. And, you know, that, that's something we, we've got to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, well, jumping on to what we can do, you mentioned here, one of the first things that's important for us to do is to continue on in obedience. And I wanted to just give you some time to talk about that. Okay. Well, you know, the, the psalmist tells us basically, uh, when you see the wicked prospering and you see that the righteous are suffering, continue on doing whatever it is that God has called you to continuing on in obedience, continue I guess you could say keep on keeping on. But the idea is that you just you continue to do what you know to do and you trust God to take care of everything else. So you're allowing God to be God and you to do exactly what you need to be doing. You know, most of the time we know what we should be doing. We just don't want to do it. Sure. And so the psalmist is saying, you know, continue on no matter what. Just continue on. Just be faithful. And uh, during the lesson, I, I brought up uh, Peter's kind of epitaph of David, King David. And he sums up King David's life by simply saying, you know, he served his generation and fell asleep. And you think, well, that's kind of a boring biography. But you think of what that means. You know, he did exactly what God was wanting him to do for his particular time in his particular generation, serving out God's purposes. And that was what mattered. Yeah. And, you know. This phrase, you know, keep on keeping on, it kind of reminds me this theme you find all throughout the Old Testament. It, it appears, I believe, for the first time in Exodus 18, 21. There's sort of a threefold standard of holiness. Jethro gives it to Moses. He says, for those who are going to be representing God, who are going to be really being a leader in this world, judging others, being a, a figurehead 
in the world around them that represents not any worldly belief system, but really God and God's character, those people, they need to, one, fear God, um, two, be trustworthy, and some translations will say righteous, and the third stage in that is to to hate dishonest gain or hate a bribe. There'll be some form of this where it says they have to be obedient to God, first and foremost. They're only fearing God and fearing God alone. And then secondly, they're trustworthy to that. And trustworthy and righteous, really in that sentence, it's this idea that you are being obedient to a life that fears God. So there's some sort of connection in the real world around you that you're you're not just saying, well, I fear God in my life, but you're actually continuing on in that in the world around you. And that has some real-world ramifications. And again, you find this all throughout the Old Testament, not always in the same exact form that you find there with Jethro, but even in Nehemiah, you'll find all three of these concepts tied together in a sentence. You find it when David is anointed by, by Samuel. Um, you find it all throughout the Old Testament, these, these episodes where these three ideas, they're kind of coupled together, that one, you're fearing God, two, you're actually living your life according to that, and three, you're going out of your way to, to kind of stop the evil in the world around you. But let's get on to what you had in your next point, is that we need to find our joy in God. And this is something I think is really important. I'll just let you pick us up on that one. Well, the psalmist, you know, the psalmist spends quite a bit of time in looking at this. You know, uh, we can't allow our satisfaction or contentment uh, to come from our external circumstances, to come from how people are treating us or uh, how we are being viewed or whether we have prosperity or success or not. Our contentment, our satisfaction has to come from God himself, from learning to view God himself, you know, as the source of our, our ultimate uh, happiness and, and, and contentment. Yeah. You know, everything else basically is idolatry. Yeah. When we're looking really at anything else to provide this, we are looking to other things to provide us with God, what God himself is supposed to provide us with. Sure. And really, when we look around us right now in the modern world, so many people are, are grossed out with everything going on in the world. And they, they're, they feel depressed by it. They just want it all to go away. And we have to remind one another in the church, our, our brothers and sisters, to, we, we find our joy in God. If you make your joy dependent on what the world around you looks like, you're going to get crushed pretty quickly. And that, that is increasingly true here in 2020. Um, and as time moves on, you know, there are so many things in the world that are disgusting and repulsive. And this whole conversation we're having right now is about, you know, when evil is succeeding in the world, when evil is frustrating you, we have to learn to have joy in life even when the world around you is gross. And, and I hate to use the word like gross, but I don't really know a better word in English to describe it. But when everything around you is gross, our joy needs to not come from, you know, the world around us, but it does come from God. And so that's just such an important point there. Well, as we wrap this up, I wanted to share one final scripture. And then I've got sort of a weird proposition I'm going to throw at John. Um, I hope he likes a, a hot take. This is someone's um, thoughts on hell that I'm going to be sharing. But in Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 27, he says, So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or anything hidden that will not be made known. What I tell to you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim on the roofs. And so we kind of talked about two things that you can do. Continue on in your obedience, and two, find joy. I'm going to add a third one in that, that says, speak truth. Jesus tells us, you know, there will be an ultimate day of judgment, where all that is disclosed will be made known. And Jesus also tells us whatever 
that you learn from Christ. Go out and spread, just speak truth. Go out on the rooftops, proclaim truth. Just proclaim as much truth as you possibly can. And what I wanted to kind of throw at John really quickly is the idea that the idea of hell itself can give some comfort. You know, we don't think of comfort being associated with hell, but I've, I've heard several theologians, this is not a necessarily original thought, and I'm sure it's one that John has heard before, is that there is some peace in knowing that there is a hell because that reminds you that people who have gotten away with great and evil things in this life, that there will be some judgment. <laughs> we don't know what that looks like, but there, there will be some form of judgment passed on them, and God is going to make things right. Um, I'll let you kind of wrap up our conversation with some thoughts on that, that hell gives us comfort that, yes, there will be a judgment of the living and the dead, and those who have you know, lived in perpetual darkness, they will, they will have some, some payment that has to come. Well, that's that's a hard question to respond to. Oh yeah, it and is. you know we don't very hard. We don't we don't. I don't know if I've ever really thought about it in those terms before, but I would agree that uh, you know that we are assured of the the justice uh, of God. That in the end, that that God is just, and that God sets about to do what He tells us He will do, and to put in place you know what He what He tells us to put in place. You mentioned the importance of telling truth. You know, the psalmist is telling us in this psalm, we look at the wicked and we see one thing, but we see we don't see reality. And so yeah. the psalmist is telling us, you know, you need to understand the true reality of what it is. And you're right. We need to speak that reality to our world yep. to say this is the way things really are. And hell in the ultimate you know, in the end, hell is a reminder of that ultimate reality. Yeah. That this is the way things are. Yeah. And this is the way God is. Yeah. And a brutal reality at that. Well, thank you for spending time with me, John. Would you mind closing in prayer for us as we wrap this up? Okay, let's pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for this reminder we've had today of the fact that we look around us and we see so many things that uh, give us pause and that make us discouraged. But we are reminded this is not ultimate reality, that you are in control and that you are working things out in your will. And we can rest assured in that. And we ask, Lord, that you would go with us through this week uh, and as we move into our lives to, to be obedient to you in your name. Amen.